Let's start in 15. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God? Just in case you don't know who that's talking about, that's talking about Jesus Christ. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God? Why? Well, because no man has seen the Father, right? But if you've seen Jesus Christ, you've seen the Father. Who is the image of the invisible God? You know, he, he made sure that he projected the right image. There's a lot of wicked images in this day and age with all the different screens that we have and all that, the, you know, just the quick access to technology and whatever you want at, at an instant, it's yours. But, but Jesus Christ projected the right image. He, he made sure that when you saw him, there was absolutely zero fault in his character and in his actions. And because of that, it pointed you directly to the Father who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and... What's that say? For him. That means you were created for God. You weren't created for yourself. Most of us, no, all of us here this morning are guilty of grand theft. We've stolen a life that, that does not belong to us. We're all guilty of high treason. We've rebelled against our Creator. And if you're, you're here and you've never seen from Scripture what it means to be saved, you first need to understand something that the rest of us here have already grabbed a hold, a hold of, and, and that's that you're guilty of killing the creator of heaven and earth. Verse 17 here says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So to, to, be, for, to be before all things, that's to be ahead of. That's to be first. Numero uno. He's above everything and everyone. I guess I could ask, is he, though? I mean, in your life, is he? Verse 18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the, who, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Brother Rob, would you uh, mind praying for us? I'd like to take a moment to, uh, to ask you guys to do something with me. It'll only take just a few seconds. Um, but I think it'd be a good uh, mental exercise to try to do this. I, I want to interact a little bit, all right? And I know half of you who are introverted are like, oh, no, here we go. But I, I want you to interact with me just for a second. And when it comes to the, the image of the invisible God, like, like we read in verse 15 there, I want to know, when I mention the name Jesus Christ, what is it that you picture? So, so if you don't mind, I want to just take five seconds. When I say Jesus Christ, 
I want you to have an image in your mind. Now, in reality, that image, it's going to look different for every single person here. And so I, I, I want to know, I'm curious here. Did anybody here, when I mentioned the name Jesus Christ, did anybody here picture, and there's no wrong answer, okay, there's no trick questions here, so you can feel safe to answer. But did anybody picture like a, a sweet baby Jesus? You know, you started thinking of Christmas songs, you know, a baby, you know, baby in a manger, and then you started thinking, oh no, it's almost fall, and the winter's coming, and then you started getting depressed. And So, did anybody here picture a perpetually crucified Jesus? Did anybody here picture a humble carpenter walking? I work with wood for a living, so... I probably should have thought of that one, but that's not one I that's not one that's normally first to the, the forefront of my mind. Anybody here pictured a exalted and transformed Jesus that uh, appeared to the disciples? Maybe it was maybe the Jesus you pictured was uh, a nicer, sweeter, more PC Jesus that just happens to identify with your set of politics? Is that the kind of Jesus you pictured? Maybe you see a, a powerful Savior, as He is our Savior. And so you, as a Christian, it, it means to be a, a Christ follower, or a, a little Christ, as I've heard it said. So I, I want to know, what, what is it, what does our, our big brother, if you will, look like? And I don't say that in an irreverent way, I mean... He's somebody who is higher and more exalted than we are. What, what does Jesus Christ look like in our eyes? What, what is the ideal human, the, the God-man, the ideal that we're supposed to grow into as Christians? Because if, if all you see is a meek and mild Jesus, then that's the direction that you're going to grow as a Christian. The image you hold of Jesus Christ is the, the direction you're going to be growing, and all of us have very specific pictures in our mind of who Jesus Christ is. The image that we have of Jesus Christ is extremely important for our growth with, in, in our relationship with, with Him. And you know, I've, I've had quite my own journey of... Uh, of this image developing over time, uh, because it's, it's really changed dramatically over time. I've been to a variety of churches throughout my life. I've been to uh, non-denominationals, I've been to Baptist, I've, been to, I've even been to Catholic, I've been to Presbyterian, I think I've been to Lutheran and Methodist, and there's a wide range of churches I, I've been to, and so I, I guess you could say I've kind of been all of it, but then really, none of it at the same time. And with everyone seeing and, and believing different things, I didn't really have much direction. You know, you can do all the right things growing up and not really know any Bible at all. I mean, you might know a couple, you know, Bible stories, you know, Noah's in the, Noah in the ark, right? Um... 
which is often a children's story, which I kind of find strange because it's like the death of humanity, you know? (laughs) Bloated dead bodies bumping into the keel of the boat, you know, and we're like, Noah, Noah, who built it? But I don't know why that's one of the pinnacle children Bible stories. But my, my point is, is that you can know a lot of different things, but not, not really have any knowledge of God. You can, you can grow up a Christian and, and not really have a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is kind of, that's contradictory to the very definition of Christian. I didn't have the privilege growing up of meeting Jesus in a, uh, you know, like a nice worshipful experience with nice music playing. Well, perhaps I did have the privilege, but I just wasn't awake to see it. But my experience with Jesus Christ earlier on in life and and growing up was rather quite the opposite of a nice experience. I feel like Jesus Christ accosted me. Through my own mistakes, I was driven to my wit's end until I decided to pick up the Bible and start reading. And I just started inhaling Scripture. But... I was a reluctant convert. The Lord took me and and broke me down, and and he picked up these pieces, and he told me, you know, this just ain't going to (laughs) work. I said, I know. Only reason I'm talking to you. I need help, and this world has none to offer. And in the desert, which was my soul, there, there sprang up this little well of water. And as I fed my soul more and more of this book, that fountain of living water became uh, larger and larger, and it began to spread. And the, the place where I once knew only as a place of despair became this oasis that only the Lord and I knew about. Amen. And the Word of God continued to bring new life into my soul and And I started to realize, wait a minute, you know, I'm not the only one wandering out here in the desert. I'm I'm not the only one who has found this this wellspring of life. This is the the same nourishment. This is the the same brook that nourished Elijah. This is the the same cave that I've been hiding in where David uh, had fled to try to find some solace. I'm not the only one wandering in this desert hoping No, expecting a miracle of manna from heaven. I'm not the only one to have walked this path before. I I wanted, no, I needed direction and clarity, but more than anything, I had to get to the point where I simply wanted to know Jesus more. I have heard it said that love is never satisfied where it's at. It always whispers nearer, nearer. Lexi and I are just a couple weeks away from our four-year anniversary, woot woot. And, uh, you know, since it's going to be four years on September 1st, um, do you think it'd be appropriate for me to say, okay, I can kind of relax, sit back, kick my feet up, Relax a bit. After all, I've got four years. So I got my bachelor's degree in Leaksy, right? <laughs> how, how do you think, how, how well do you think that would go over with her? Probably not very well, and yet I, I think many of us treat our Christianity that way. 
we've been serving the Lord for a while and just kind of start to take things for granted. If you really love Jesus Christ and you need to get to know Him better, and I hope I'll be able to encourage you to do that this morning. But see, I encountered something really frustrating growing up, and as I started to get into Scripture and started to study and read, and what I found was that as I was learning more about Jesus, I, I found a, a huge disconnect between the, the God that I was, I was meeting in, in the desert, that, that God that showed up to me in the cave of Abdullam, the the God who guided David's hands in battle, the, the God who showed up to Joshua with his sword drawn, a, a captain of the Lord's army. There, there was a disconnect between that Jesus Christ and the one in the churches that I saw around me. I remember when I was younger, my mom liked to go to the Christian bookstore and... Uh, I remember as soon as those doors open right up, right, you, get, you just get hit with the smell of perfume. Right? And then the, the walls are just adorned with Thomas Kincaid paintings. Right? And, and there's these little crystalline figurines and, and these plaques with poems on them. Look, I, poems are nice, you know. I like poems. But do you really need to put one on every single glazed plate? It seems a bit excessive to me. And, but this was the view of Christianity that I saw in the world around me. And it was completely, it seemed completely contrary to the one I saw in Scripture. I, I, I didn't find a place for a, a masculine Jesus to be. And as a man myself, I, looking around at the churches, I really found nothing for me. In Scripture, I read about double-edged swords and, and the indig- indignation of God's wrath. But I didn't find the, the boldness, the grit, that I, the, the courage that I see in Scripture. I would read about how the righteous are as bold as lions. But I would just think, where are the lions then? It took me some time to realize that the picture of a Soft, gentle, gracious Jesus was not wrong. It was simply incomplete. And in a similar way, the picture that I had of Jesus, it wasn't wrong. I was getting it from the book. It's just it was incomplete. Everyone needs to understand that The picture that you have, the image in in your mind of Jesus Christ is wholly inadequate. It is not good enough, and I hope that we can grow that image a little more this morning. We need to see Jesus for who He really is. We need to see Jesus as someone who is always continually high and lifted up. I mean, you see all throughout Scripture when someone is approached by Jesus Christ, the Appropriate response is to fall on their face and say, Depart from me, God. I am a man of unclean lips. I think most of the time our picture of Jesus Christ is inadequate, woefully inadequate. And you live in a day and age where there's this wave of humanism. When we get into Colossians here... 
the book of Colossians here focuses a lot on the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And we read that verse in verse 18, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Well, the opposite of preeminence is going to be him not high and lifted up. And as a result, it's going to be you high and lifted up. It's humanism. And humanism is nothing more than Luciferianism. It's the same exact thing the devil did. He wanted to exalt himself above the stars. You live in a day and age where, uh, where there's this wave of humanism and self-indulgence and self-importance, and it's amazing to see how fascinated people are with themselves. The, the problem with modern-day preaching, I think, is that Christians that need to get right don't, and the Christians that are right with God keep thinking that they aren't, and nobody ever grows. I'm glad that you're here, though. <laughs> I appreciate it, but we need to do an inspection this morning to find out whether or not we're giving the Lord the preeminence in all things. Whether or not we've got the right view of Jesus Christ. Whether or not that image is accurate. The Bible says uh, twice, twice in Scripture, whether you, you love, or whosoever loveth mother or father, uh, sister or brother, husband or wife, cannot be my disciple. God makes it clear in Scripture, if you love riches, or, or you love your houses, or you love your, your, your lands, or your animals, or, or anything else above Him, that you cannot be His disciple. Be careful when we use the word Christian, because I think sometimes we forget that it wasn't the believers that were first called Christians, it wasn't the saved people, it wasn't those who were born again that were first called Christians, it was the disciples that were first called Christians. At Antioch. People that were living a lifestyle that brought honor and glory to Jesus Christ. In this day and age, though, we have exalted man to the top of the ladder, and this exists now in churches. We care more about what man thinks, about what man wants. Fill out this questionnaire, let us know what kind of program you're interested in. Give people a, self, a self-help message. It's all about the self, the exaltation of the man. Give them a self-help message and send them on their way. God tells us that it, pleased, it pleases God by the foolishness of preaching. But that's why the world and the churches have kicked preaching out. They dumped it like a crazy ex-girlfriend. Why? Because it's crazy. God said it. It's, it's foolishness. But God said, yeah, you know, as true as that might be, it's because you need it. It's the way he set it up. But if a church is focused on self, then I guess it only makes sense that they wouldn't be pleasing God. Are you pleasing God here this morning? God wants men to stand up in a pulpit and tell others about what Christ has done. And the, the reason for this is there ain't, there ain't much more than that that'll irritate your flesh when another man in the flesh gets up and tells you that you need to get right with God. Anytime that things aren't right between you and God, I can assure you of this, I can promise you, Without any question, it is because you have exalted the golden calf of yourself above God's throne. 
The reason this church building isn't packed to the max and, and flowing out into the parking lot is because there's, there's people driving by that have more important things to do than to focus on the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The things you want have become more important than the things God wants. And the, the re, you know, the, This whole world nowadays is all about themselves and... and you got people always throwing fits and protesting, screaming, whining about how the world doesn't conform to the way they want it to be. You know, well, join the club, bro. I, I think the same thing. It's just for completely different reasons. You know, when I was little, I would see kids that would whine and cry and throw a fit and scream and get their way with everything. And unfortunately, I think all those kids have grown up now. In the book of Colossians here... Paul takes a completely opposite route than the way this world takes. The world exalts man, but Paul exalts Jesus Christ. In the book of Colossians, he continually says, In him, by him, for him, with him, of him, he is him who, whom. It is continually about Jesus Christ. In the first, I think it's 40, 42 verses, Paul talks about the preeminence of Jesus Christ and what that looks like. And then in the last, about 43 verses, he talks about the preeminence of Jesus Christ and what that looks like. But in the middle of those two sections, he shows you what mankind looks like when Jesus Christ is not preeminent in their lives. When people don't have the proper image of who he is. A problem nowadays is that you have been brought up to believe that the Everything is about you. You're marketed that way. Everything online, all the ads are marketed directly to you. To your search engine, to what you have typed in. You type something in, and then before you know it, that thing will pop up in ads. Everything is targeted to you, you, you. God is supposed to be preeminent in the church, and none of us deserve any worship at all from the pulpit to the pew right out to 10 Mile, and Only the Lord Jesus Christ deserves the preeminence, and we say that, but our actions show otherwise. Paul starts off this book here. Look at verse 4 and 5. Real quick, do you guys know why Paul wrote this book? I mentioned it briefly, but I want to bring it back into our attention again. It's to show the natural progression that humanity makes, that men and women make when they are no longer putting Jesus Christ as the, for, the forefront, the, putting them foremost in, in their lives. It is the, the or natural degradation, I should say. It is what happens to mankind without Christ. Things will result, re- revert back to man's preeminence instead. Verses 4 and 5 here says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Verses 4 and 5 here, it mentions that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And again, all I want to do this morning is try to draw your attention to a, an image of Jesus Christ. Now, we know that that hope that it's talking about is talking about streets of gold and, and a crystal sea and, and being able to be 
reunited with loved ones once again and to see friends and family. And, and I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to, to be able to eat heavenly food and not get fat. Amen. You say that's gluttony. Not in heaven. I'm, ex- I'm excited for, I mean, I, I can't even, you guys, we can't, <laughs> we can't start to comprehend what it's going to be like. I'm, I'm excited about everything that's going to be there, about the peace and the joy. And, but, but we can't forget that none of those things are worth anything without Jesus Christ there. If you go to heaven and all these things are there, but Jesus Christ isn't, uh, you're in the wrong place, man. We, we need to see Jesus Christ as an eternal king ruling and reigning over a kingdom that has no end. Look at verse 10 here. It tells us that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That verse shows us that he is the one to be, that is worthy to be served. He, he is one who is worthy of every good thing we do. He's He's worthy to be served, and, and, and the reason for that is because Jesus Christ stooped down from heaven with, with a bucket of water and a, a, a towel in his hand. And, and I remember, because he, he cleaned my feet. He, he took the mud and the dirt and the, the stains and the sin and the scars, and simply so I could walk again in a path that Jesus Christ paved himself. But we must not forget about how he did that. Look at verse 14 with me. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. (laughs) If we want Christ to have the preeminence in our lives, if, if, we, if we really, as a Christian, if we really want a more accurate image of Jesus Christ, then we cannot forget about the cost of salvation. It says, in whom we have redemption through His blood. You say salvation is free, it didn't cost anything. Well, yes, to, to someone who is not saved, I understand that perspective. That's a good perspective to have uh, because there is nothing that that individual needed to do in order to obtain salvation. But, but I hope your perspective would grow a little beyond that. For, for us who are saved and, and want a better image of Jesus Christ, remember that, look, for those of us who want to truly see Jesus Christ a little more clearly, do not forsake the doctrine of the blood of Jesus Christ. You've got to understand, a man, a man's real blood. If someone, were to, if someone were to come in these doors with a rifle or a shotgun, well, first of all, he would, get, he would die very quickly. But if somebody were to do that, and let's say there was nobody here to, to you know, adequately stop him, right? And one of your loved ones decided, you know, I mean, it, it's either all of us or, or me. <laughs> I, got, I, I got a decision to make. And, and, and your loved one jumps 
the gunman. And in doing so, saves us from a catastrophe and yet gets shot in the process. Right, right, right here, right in the center, right in the middle aisle. It's not just the, your family that would be bawling their eyes out, but it would be every single person here. You would be weeping if something like that happened. Right. And yet we think of the cross, we think about the blood of Jesus Christ, and oh yeah, yeah. Amen. I know. That's good, preacher. You realize that Jesus Christ's blood was the cost for your salvation. A real man's blood, a perfect man's blood. Blood that was still warm as it ran down his body. The cost of salvation that gave us redemption. I'm talking about having a clearer image of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just his, his blood that redeemed us, though. It was also his blood that reconciled us with the Father. Look at verse 20. It says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Reconciliation. In other words, your sin is as far as the east is from the west. God is not going to hold your sin over your head. It's gone in its entirety for all eternity. It's because of my Savior's suffering and His triumph through it that I can grow to be counted worthy of all suffering in this life and rejoice while going through it. Look at verses 24 and 25. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And you know, God is such a gracious God that that we Christians, we as Christians, we actually get special treatment. Do you understand that? Look at verses 26 and 27. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from... And from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. As Christians, we can see things that lost men can't see. Scripture says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. But see, here's where the, the humanism comes into play. The self-exaltation. You start to understand some things. You start to get some things down. and You start to think it's because you're smart. Right. hate to break it to you, but you're not very smart. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit in you that reveals those things to you. And, and this is stuff that is not revealed to anybody else. We get special treatment as Christians. I'm just talking about having a clearer image of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? And I, I want to wrap up here. Finally, to have a better and clearer image of Jesus Christ, we need to 
We need to know that when he does a work, he does it mightily. Look at verses 28 and 29. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. You say, well, you know, I still mess up. Yeah, sure do. But do you know what I'd be without Jesus Christ? I mean, it, it'd literally be too graphic to get into. Like I, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to talk about what we would be without Jesus Christ. And that's why we don't talk about it. Right. We just talk about Jesus Christ. Amen. I would be a mess, and I, and I was a mess, and, and Jesus Christ cleaned me up, and, and He's doing a work in me, and, and it's not just like, oh, like an okay work, like it's so-so. Like, no, it's a mighty work. Yeah. I still mess up, yeah, I do, but... But I'm telling you, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I would, I would be a complete train wreck. I'm telling you confidently because God tells us in Scripture that He works mightily in us. You ask why? Well, because I'm still standing here today. Amen. I'm, I'm up here preaching and, and I've got a better understanding of, of the cross and of His blood than I did when I first got saved. And Amen. God has walked me through, through trials and tribulations and He's done such a, a mighty work in me that one day, when I'm absent from this body, I'll be present with the Lord. Yeah. That's a mighty work. When you die, that, that body ain't, ain't ready to go where you're headed. <laughs> you could not stand the flame of an all-consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. You're going to get a body better than the ones that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. See, you're, you're, you're going to get a body like unto the one who was in the fire with them. Not, not a God, as some scriptures say. The God. The Lord Jesus Christ. You can think of it this way. We're going up like Superman and coming back like Lone Ranger. One day my Savior is coming down on, on a white horse with all of us. And, and man, on a white horse like, like one you've never seen before. Glory to God because when Jesus Christ comes down to that intersection where the everlasting meets the, the here and now. And a fire will light up the sky so bright, so, so vibrant, more vibrant than anything you've seen. And every eye shall see him. Every eye. I am eagerly awaiting that triumphant day. I'd like to give you some homework. This was a rough overview of the book of Colossians. Um, I'd like to encourage you just to, when you go home, today, tomorrow, next week, the longer you put it off, the less likely you're going to be able to to, to do it, you're going to forget about it. So I'd encourage you to do it today, but read through Colossians. Look, look at the first 40-something verses and see what things look like when Christ has the preeminence. We've looked at some examples here, but, but it spans the entire book. And then read halfway through and look at what 
mankind looks like without Jesus Christ, without him being preeminent. And then Paul wraps things up nicely in the last 40-something verses, focusing again on the preeminence of Jesus Christ. I'd like to just encourage you to focus on that image. Strive to, to make that image clearer every single day of your life because whatever it is that you view Jesus as, that's what you're growing towards. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, I just thank you for, uh, for watching over us as we all drove here, and, and I pray that you'll watch over us as we all drive away, and I just pray that you'll bring us back safely this evening. I just thank you so much for an opportunity to preach. Um, it scares me. I'm sweating and shaking, and, but I appreciate it, Lord, and I, I pray that it was a blessing to somebody here, and I just pray that your name, and, and, and I just pray that Jesus Christ was glorified and lifted up, and that people will be able to walk out of here a little more encouraged. Maybe they've got a, a little better picture of Jesus Christ now. And I just thank you for who you are and how good you are to us. And thank you for that blood, that precious blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you for it. And just pray that we'll have a wonderful rest of the day and that you'll get the honor and glory for everything. Pray this in your name. Amen.